Welcome to Legville. I'm producer Eric Sagan. Support for Legville comes from two places. Sponsors we genuinely love, and people just like you. If you'd like to help us keep the lights on in Legville, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Again, that's patreon.com slash Podcast. Support for the podcast also comes from Elsa's. Elsa's is now welcoming you inside for good drinks, good food, and good conversation in the heart of the Plateau Montréal. Also sponsoring the podcast is Good Mix. Good Mix includes a wide range of prebiotic fiber, which promotes microbial diversity in the gut flora. You can get 15% off your next purchase of Good Mix at Amazon and at goodmixfoods.com by using the code LIKEFILL when you check out online. You can find links to our sponsors at our website, www.likefillpodcast.com. Without further ado, Here's our host, John Faithful Hamer, introducing today's episode. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're just, just audio. It's always, because uh, the problem with video always is that, um, you know, we'll just naturally end up doing hand gestures and facial expressions, and then when people just hear the audio they miss all of that yeah. <laughs> so it's it's, uh, it's an issue i'm nodding right now yeah <laughs> so are we uh ready to go Eric? sure oh Eric, sorry yeah he's looking at all his like he's like a wizard he's got all these like he looks like a like an evil genius <laughs> <laughs> like like a mastermind like lex luther or something he's like but with hair <laughs> he's like got all of his like dials everywhere and like multiple screens <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. yeah welcome to the like phil podcast this is john faithful hamer today i'm going to be talking with my friend a somebody who's been on the podcast before alexander boldazar uh, known as boldy <laughs> to his friends uh we're going to be talking today uh not about another one of um, Boldy's novels, although that's, he's got another one coming, a sci-fi one. Uh, we'll talk about that, I guess, at the end a little bit. But uh, today we're going to be talking about the trucker protests in Ottawa and other cities in Canada and blocking major bridges into the United States, which is, I, I was just saying to uh, our producer, Eric Sagan, that uh, I don't think I think you'd have to go back to Rob Ford, you know, crack-smoking mayor of Toronto. I think you'd have to go back to Rob Ford to find a time when the rest of the world was paying so much attention to Canada. Like, I, we watch, my wife and I watch um, the PBS NewsHour uh, pretty much every weeknight, and there's barely any mention of Canada on uh, PBS NewsHour. And, but since the trucker convoy, it's been practically every day and they've had whole conversations about it so anyway welcome boldy uh so what do you think about all of the trucker protests <laughs> you want summary right up front i i don't have a summary yeah i mean we we uh we uh, it's it's interesting because uh we we tend to sort of see eye to eye on on most things but on this one we uh, we we're on we find ourselves on other sides, and I find that sort of really interesting. So, yeah, what um, I, what do you take about it? 
Well, first, I, I, I think it's really cool to be on, on opposite sides of, of an idea. Of course, yeah. And to be able to have a you know conversation about it and still respect each other during it and afterwards. Um, and I think that that in a lot of ways ties into why I'm kind of grateful to the truckers because uh, they're bringing a little bit of that or they're trying to bring a little bit of that back to the national conversation. Um, but I do want to establish a few uh kind of background ideas because there's been so much misinformation or not even misinformation but so much uh thinking that works in bumper stickers and conclusions that you know if, if i come out saying that I'm, I'm supporting the truckers uh a lot of the audience is going to think i'm an anti-vaxxer um and perhaps by the definition of miriam webster i am since they've expanded it to not just somebody who is against vaccines but somebody who's against mandating vaccines um, but just for the record, I'm, I'm triple vaccinated. I, I got the first two shots as quickly as I could because my wife was immune compromised. She has cancer. I got the booster shot the day I got the email saying I was eligible. Um, so I've been, I've been fighting to be as early in the vaccination race as I could. I mean, I, I was initially thinking of when Canada was four months delayed behind the States, I was trying to figure out ways to get into the States and just buy the vac vaccine for myself just because my wife was immune compromised. So I want to I want to start off by by saying this is not um not, not everybody who supports the truckers is as you know can be just dismissed as anti-science or anti-vax. Um there there's multiple issues playing out and I think one of the biggest problems that we have as a society right now is that we've taken on these two hive minds, these two sets of groupthink and there are very few people who are actually picking and choosing their issues from you know this side might be slightly more right on 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 this issue and that side might be slightly more right on that issue given the current knowledge and and you know and that changes every day the knowledge changes the science changes the facts on the grounds on the ground change um so i just want to set that as, as, as a background because uh a lot of the people who question anything at this point have been uh getting tired of being anti-vaxxer generally um that said you know I, I think what the truckers are are doing is is important um but i'd like to break it down you know i'd like to discuss different parts of it because even that issue has you know their size will agree size will disagree or aspects will agree and aspects will disagree um so do you want me to basically summarize why i'm despite all that i'm still supporting the truckers yeah absolutely uh, yeah. well uh, I think that that Canada has a real problem with passivity. Um, we don't complain enough. We have this, um, you know, when when I was in high school, I was in French immersion, um, and then I shifted to the gifted program, which was kind of a bunch of kooks and wackos. But the the French immersion kids were were really they were the kids that were going into politics. They were the really proper ones. Um, they were you know fairly intelligent really worked hard they were the a students and they kind of run society now um and and either side where my high school had you know they, they had a big uh shop wing where they, they, they uh you know learn how to become car mechanics and fix cars um then had the french immersion and had the gifted program and there was a weird uh i, I kind of I, I tried to be in, in all those groups i i, I I didn't want to ghettoize into one clique. Um, and so I started in French immersion and I switched to uh, 
to the gifted program, but I played sports with the with the shop guys. Um, and in a lot of ways, the 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 two ex the the shop guys and the, and the gifted kids, they were the most interesting. They were the ones who st who thought you know in wacky and weird and independent ways, and 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 really in, in, in kind of heterodox thinkers. Whereas the, the, the French immersion kids were planning on going into, into politics and business, they just did what they were told. And the truckers, uh, the thing about the truckers is they're, they're not the most highly educated. They're not going to be the most articulate. They're not going to be the, the smartest in terms of you know, thinking the cost benefit of their actions. Um, I'm, I'm not in Ottawa. I'm, I'm too calculating in terms of how much that would mess up my life to get an arrest on, on my, on my record. Um, but these guys went there and, and what they're arguing for is, you know, they're arguing for the most basic form of human liberty, which is what happens inside the confines of your own skin. Like we have those French immersion kids that, that run the country now, they control everything. They, they if, if, if the fact that there's the battlefield of, of liberty now is what happens inside your own skin. That means that the elites, um, the government, the, the people who know better, control every other everything outside of the skin. They already control all the levers of society. The, the battlefield now for liberty is, is really within the confines of what medicine is put into your own skin. Do I think they're right? No, I mean, scientifically, medically, for the grand majority of, of people, certainly for overweight 50 year old trucker, you know, it is not a wise cost benefit decision on, on the probabilities of science to refuse the vaccine, but it's their fucking body. You know, I'm pro-abortion because it's the woman's body and it's nobody's right to tell her what to do with her own body. With the truckers, you know, we're telling them what they have to do and we're using coercion. I mean, people tell me it's, it's not force, but if, if I were to tell them an, an employee, you know, you, you don't have to have sex with me. But if you don't, you lose your job. Every court in, in any civilized country would say that was coercion. Um, but we're saying that now with, with, the, the, with the vaccines and saying, no, that's not coercion, it's their choice. Um, we're also creating a segregated society. And again, people will, will, will wiggle in, that, in and out of it. Um, but I have friends who are unvaccinated. They can't come to the re same restaurant as me. I mean, we're one step away from separate water fountains for people that we think are wrong. And the fact that I happen to agree that they're wrong doesn't, it's irrelevant. This is a question of principle. We, I was born in a communist dictatorship where the society thought it knew better for everybody what to do. And we, we came to Canada not because of the economic opportunities. We came here because of the, of the freedom here. The fact that you don't have the collective, the board telling every individual, you know, controlling every action of their lives the reason totalitarianism is you know in, in Czechoslovakia we didn't call it a dictatorship we call it the, the totality because in a totalitarian state the, the society controls every aspect of your of your private life and here in Canada we're in a state where we're trying to control the forced medical procedures um for somebody now I'm not I'm not an absolutist I'm not a libertarian uh you know if if you told me that we're dealing with Ebola with a 50% infection fatality rate and the vaccine was perfect at preventing transmission, I'd say, you know what? It infringes on my liberty. 
it does, but it's worth it. Um, you know, these are these are probabilistic cost benefit nuanced positions. But COVID is not 50% mortality. Even even uh, original COVID had an infection fatality rate of 0.23%, which is one one hundredth that the, the chance of dying of COVID is one one hundredth of what the chance of dying of cancer. Now with Omicron, it's about 10% of that. And the vaccines no longer stop transmission. So it's no longer... Yeah, yeah. I heard that recently they said that the boosters, I like you, I'm triply vaxxed, uh, but they recently said, uh, I don't know if, if they said this like in the Canadian news, but here in Quebec in the, the French press, they were saying that they now think the booster is really only good for four months. So I have to get another one in, I don't know, like three months or... And again, it's a, two and a half months. I mean, that's that's getting annoying. <laughs> like, but it's it's you know. it's again that they only know this now. I've been, I was arguing on Twitter two months ago that you're going to have to get a booster every ten weeks if you want to base it off antibodies. It's not that the science is new. That is, the CDC finally reported it. And we've always known that antibodies are are the, the antibodies are not the, the workhorses of the immune system. It's the, it's the innate immune system is what does most of the work. And the immune system will not block a virus at the entry point. It allows your body to defend itself much faster. And so, but the entire conversation has been about antibodies. And if you're basing your, your, your uh, booster sessions on antibodies, antibodies last about 10 weeks. That's not something that we learned last week. Everybody, every immunologist, knows antibodies for these types of things usually last about 10 weeks. It's the innate immune system. And with Omicron preferentially targeting the mucosal membranes, like the nose uh, as opposed to the lungs, you're not going to get um, the the innate immune system isn't triggered until the virus goes deeper in. So because the the Omicron lives in the nose, it's much more transmissible. It's also much less fatal because it's not attacking crucial tissues in the lung. Um, But I started saying, you know, thank God for Omicron at the end of December, and because the studies were there already, but the political momentum hasn't adapted. We are not adapting. Science does change. It's not science even. The virus has changed. Omicron shouldn't even be called COVID. It's it's such a fundamentally different virus in terms of its relevant properties. But uh, we've created this political momentum, and what's going on now with, I mean, the the mandates and everything else is, is it's, a, it's performance art, just like we had after 9-11, we had security theater, and it's because the governments don't know how to pivot. They don't want to, we've created two teams, and, and suddenly pivoting looks like you're, you're changing teams. So, and, and I know it's, it's, it's difficult to have the trucker conversation without having the COVID conversation, and in one sense, they're two separate conversations, but in another sense, they're not, because at least not from my position because like I said if the virus has 50% infection fatality rate I'd be okay with some authoritarianism to prevent transmission but what frustrates me is people who say this is not an infringement of liberty you don't understand liberty that's total bullshit let's separate the arguments one argument yeah, is, yeah. is do the mandates infringe on personal liberty and they do more than anything that I've ever seen in, in, in Canadian history since World War II yeah, well, I mean, it is, it is kind of, I think I, I, I made a comment on, I think on Twitter or Facebook, I think, I think it was on one of your threads actually, that I said, uh, wouldn't it be weird if Justin Trudeau, 
like brought in something like the War Measures Act, like brought in like the military when like the the only other, you know, prime minister to do that in my lifetime was his father. Like, wouldn't that be just like just crazy? And then it happened. Yeah. Like I was like, oh my God. I it's like be careful what you well, I didn't wish for it. But like I for me the I think the the more interesting issue is the civil liberties issue and the the right to protest issue because that to me that that to me is really central. And I actually I was talking to one of the other profs, um, one of my colleagues at John Abbott College who teaches in the police tech program. And he's like like most of the people who teach in that program, they're retired cops, retired RCMP, things like that. Um, and he was, I said, ah, so what do you think about this whole thing? Because, you know, you said Canada has a passivity problem, and I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think that's central to sort of Canada's, you know, sense of self and mythology. I mean, the United States is formed on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Canada was formed on peace, order, and good government, yeah. right? So it's it's got like... But Quebec is a real outlier on that score, and Quebec has always been much more feisty and much more... I mean, we have like crazy like riots just if if the Canadians win the Stanley Cup, if they lose it. Uh, we have like... I mean, going to demonstrations that sometimes got violent um, for good reasons and kind of, I guess, virtuous, noble reasons or for stupid reasons was just like a part of growing up here in Montreal. Yeah. Like I, I went to lots of, I've, I've been tear gassed in protests. I've been pepper sprayed. I've been like, I, all that stuff. So I, I've seen lots of demonstrations. And uh, so I, I know that, that culture. And so I asked this, uh, this retired cop, I said, so what do you think about? And he said, well, you know, in a democracy, protest is essentially a numbers game. It's um, you have to sort of balance the right of, of citizens to sort of move around their city and get to work on time and do whatever they want to do and to, you know, not have be like really disrupted with the right of other citizens to gather and congregate and air their grievances and, and march and, and demonstrate and stuff like that. Uh, but he said he, he happened to, this was just, you know, good luck on my part, I guess. He happened to be like, I think if I remember, he said the person in charge or one of the people in charge of, you know, when like you want to have a protest and you contact the police and you say, Hey, we're going to have this like March and here's going to be our route. And then the police sort of, say, okay, uh, can you change the route a little bit to go on the street instead? And, uh, and you know, they'll often actually block off the streets for you and give you, like, a police escort and things like that. But So he was the person... So, parade. In so, the so, so, so you're talking about a parade now, not a protest? Well, for both. You apply for both. So I, I, like I, I climate marches... I understand, you, you, I, I understand but I'm, I'm, I'm saying that... Um, sorry not to interrupt you, but, like, I... I protested against the Republican National Com uh, Congress in, in uh, New York in 2004. And that was supposed to be in Central Park initially. And the protest organizers asked for a permit for Central Park. And the city of New York said, uh, no, that's bad for the grass. And here's an alternate route. And the route, alternate route didn't come within 20 uh, blocks of the RNC where, you know, where George Bush was being uh, 
installed. Um, and the, the the best response was for actually from the Libertarian Party that said, if you ask the government for permission to protest it, you deserve to be told no. And the types of protests that you're talking about, where, where you get the police to agree to the route, and, and the route could be 20 blocks away from where you actually want to protest, but you just go, that that's a little steam outlet for, for getting rid of excess pressure. And it, it, it only serves the government. Um, that's not a real protest. That's a parade. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see your point, but it often happens that way. And I asked him, I said, well, what happens if somebody just like shows up and has a big protest without like consulting the police first? And he said, well, it depends on how big the protest is. He said, if the protest is really big and they've got like some serious numbers, then we will essentially just proceed as if they had contacted us first. And we'll do the same thing. We'll kind of like sort of get people, we'll go around the crowd, we'll go ahead of them because we want to make sure people don't get run over by trucks when they're going, you know, going through intersections and we'll make sure like we're trying to just make it happen as smoothly as possible. Uh, But he said, it's always a numbers game. So he said, you know, we would get applications all the time for people like (laughs) he told me some of the funnier ones like there was this like men's rights group that was like (laughs) anti-circumcision and they like had all their like yeah they had all their sides like yes i miss my foreskin and like you know uh like circumcision is like a hate crime and all these like and they wanted to and so he said you know for the most part we were pretty agnostic about like whatever you're protesting, like you could be like the Raelians. Yes, we're like uh, protesting about aliens or something like that. Like we really didn't care very much, like what the cause was. Our question always was, "What are your expected numbers? What are your expected numbers?" And so, if the if the anti circumcision folks, if they say like, "Well, uh, you know, we think it's probably going to be somewhere between like fifty and seventy five," uh, they're like, "No." We're not shutting down a main artery of Montreal. We're not shutting down, say, Catherine Street during rush hour uh, so that, you know, 50 to 75 people can, like, march. If you were going to have, like, a couple thousand, you know, if you're going to show up with, like, thousands of people protesting that, okay, yeah, for those kinds of numbers, we will shut down St. Catherine Street for you. Okay, so let me, let's let's, let's hone in on, on the points of disagreement then. Um, although your, your comment about peace, order, and good government, I want to come back. Well, actually, it. actually, let me just get to the end of his point. Okay, then, oh, sorry. So you just, so yeah. you just, so you have everything to work with when you, when you respond. So he said it's, it's a numbers game and that, and he goes, that's basically for me, when I heard about the trucker convoy, the first question I asked is how many protesters are there in Ottawa right now? How many protesters are there? And he goes, as soon as I saw the numbers, I thought, well, this is ridiculous. Like, this is absolutely ridiculous. You can't actually, with such small numbers, you can't justify, um, you know, shutting down an entire city and shutting down main arteries. And he said, if they actually showed up just with their bodies, just like pro- like any other protest, if they they would not for a second have been able to shut down Ottawa. The only reason they were able to do that is because they've got these giant fucking trucks 
right? Which which are so heavy that you need special tow trucks to move them. And there's only a certain amount of like tow trucks like that, even in the Montreal area or the Quebec City area or the Ottawa area. So they basically get to massively exaggerate the size. So this is a a movement that is wildly unpopular in the all over Canada. Like opinion poll after opinion poll has shown that the Canadian people are not behind these protesters at all. The majority of truckers are against the trucker protesters. The majority of conservatives in Canada are against the truckers. The like right now, uh, Rob Ford, you know, smoke crack, get your job back Ford. Like Rob Ford's conservative brother, Doug Ford, who's the premier of Ontario, has been an incredibly vocal critic of the truckers. So they don't have the support of conservatives. They don't have the support of Canadians in general. They don't have the support of Canadian conservatives. Uh, So who exactly are they representing? Like, they claim to be representing, you know, the people, but the people aren't behind them. Uh, But but then the, the bigger issue is what this retired cop was telling me is he said, if they just showed up as protesters, like everybody else who shows up to Ottawa to protest, and there's protests in Ottawa all year round, by the way, uh, he goes, they would not have been able to have that effect. It's only because they had these giant trucks that that could vastly exaggerate um, their impact. So they could make a huge amount of noise because they have these trucks with these massive horns and sound systems, and they can just block streets. And he said, you know, we have a word for tiny minorities that try to cripple infrastructure, you know, by going to choke points, like shutting down airplanes or or trains, where a small, small group can have a massive effect. And he said, we call them terrorists. Right? Now, I think that that comparison is overblown. But the fact is, is if they showed up there without their trucks, they would have to actually have numbers and they don't have numbers. So this is, uh, this is, you know, you can sort of see why people were getting, I mean, one thing that was being reported here a lot, which I haven't heard in any of the English press at all, but it was being reported here in Quebec was that there were actually like, People were getting so pissed off in different places all across Canada where these truckers are protesting that the police were actually having to arrest private citizens who were assaulting the truckers, like just running up and punching them right in the face. Like people had to be taken for stitches for like, you know, they were so unbelievably pissed off at these people claiming to support them claiming to support the people and their freedoms while, like, making their lives fucking miserable for days and days and days. Uh, they, you know, I, I just don't know, like... Anyway, what what, what do you think? Um, well, there, there's there's a couple of points in there that I want to talk about. Uh, first, the, 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 big metal, the big metal box argument is by far the strongest one I've, I've heard um, for, for, for your side. And I think that that's a powerful argument. Um, I want to get to it in one second... I do want to first address the the disturbance idea. <clears throat> uh, last week, I, I had to drive Tanya to BC Cancer for an appointment, and you know Vancouver is all very highly dependent on bridges. Uh, we have a limited number of bridges. We're in North Vancouver. There's only two bridges to get into Vancouver, and the one closest to us 
was blocked off by native protesters opposing a pipe the pipeline. And you know, I'm I'm generally very much in favor of, of protests. I was in you know 1989. I was in the Prague Spring rioting. Um, I've been in multiple riots in you know in the West Bank in in Canada. Um, you know, I, I I seem to have like a magnet for for protests, and you know, I oppose <laughs> protest against the the Republicans in New York. Like I, I mentioned, it's not a left or right thing. So I just generally, because I come from a totalitarian government, I'm in favor of protests. I supported Black Lives Matter for the first month, even though they were extremely, like way more damaging in terms of infrastructure. But that's a different topic we can get to more comparison we can get to or not. Um, but my point is that. When they were blocking me from taking my wife to chemo or to a cancer appointment, I don't care what the issue is. I would have punched them in the face. Um, yeah. So I totally get the the anger of people in Ottawa. I went to high school in Ottawa. I have a lot of friends in Ottawa. Um, I totally get why the people who are actively impacted themselves would be extremely anti-trucker um, and I empathize strongly. I think I think it's important to try to put yourself in other people's shoes and trying to take my wife to, to BC Cancer and somebody's blocking and whether it's you know natives or truckers, I don't really give a shit. You're blocking me from taking my wife to the hospital. You're the enemy. Um, so I just want to bracket that to the side that I do understand it. <clears throat> in terms of the big metal box and the disproportionate uh, voice that the big boxes give the truckers it's a really good point um my counter to that is that this is the nature of every protest in some way um three days ago you know the, the grassy jack statue here in vancouver was torn down by protesters because grassy jack um had an underage native wife i believe um and it's a pro it's a statue that's been here for for forever in Gastown. It was torn down and, and paint sprayed on it. Um, and Squamish Nation, which was the main opponent of the statue, Squamish Nation had actually come to an agreement with the city of Vancouver as to how to deal with Grassy Jack with the statue. They were going to put up a placard uh, clarifying some of the historical context and, and some of the, the things he did that, that were unsavory. So there was no real uh, support for destroying the statue there was there was you know the, the people who, who had the most vested interest which was the squamish nation Kathy jack's wife was squamish um they had come to an agreement with the city and a couple of yahoos you know decided oh no we're going to just tear it down the media was incredibly supportive of that you had to dig in to get the the uh the comment from squamish nation that they actually opposed the destruction because they had come to an agreement um the media coverage of this was dra dramatically different from the media coverage of the truckers. So again, the these protesters it, with the, you know, it's a very minor, small thing. It's, it's a one-off. Um, but what distinguishes them is not a metal box, it's a willingness to, to vandalize. Um, same thing with, with, you know, every protest, there's going to be a core group that is disproportionately loud. I mean, we, we you and I both read, uh, stolen focus um recently about a completely different issue but he you know he talks about greenpeace protests where they were willing to there's a core group of people willing to break in uh, get get arrested 
do a lot of, of uh, you know, I think he called it site, site actions. You know, those site, the people willing to engage in those site actions to create a, a, a trigger in the response to a minority political movement or, or protection of minority rights are always going to be the extreme fringe. Sometimes they're going to be an extreme fringe that, that isn't very well educated. Again, like I said, because they, they don't do the cost benefit analysis for their own personal risk. Um, sometimes they're just really passionate, but they're always distinguished from the average person in, in terms of their willingness to, to, to do some of the th th these things. In a democracy, it's not the majority that needs protections, it's the minority. Um, it's always why the minority ends up, you know, when, when liberals are in the minority, they wanted free speech. Now that they they control, you know, every level of, of cultural power, they're shutting down free speech. And it's the conservatives who, in the past, controlled society. Now they've become pro-free speech because it's always the, the minority voice that values protest, speech, dissent. Because they're, you know, in a democracy, you don't need, the, the majority opinion doesn't need free speech but protections. So, yes, the truckers are a minority. Um, but the essence of democracy is not just mob rule. It is minor, the protection of minority voices so that you maintain the dynamism because minorities become majorities. Um, now, that doesn't mean that I, I, I think the truckers should be able to hang out forever and block up all of us forever. But like I said, I supported Black Lives Matter for about the first month. And then after a month, it was like, okay, this is no longer um, that shot in the arm that society needs to to keep you know clunking along and, and and rooting up entrenched interests and get some change going it's become just you know destruction for the sake of destruction um and that will happen with the truckers but we're three weeks in we're not a month in and i i maintain my support for black lives matter for a month i'm going to maintain the trucker support at least as long because the thing that they're fighting for is is the most fundamental right that i can think of i mean they're on, on several levels, the, the right to protest, the right to speech, the right to control what happens to your own body. Like these are these are way more fundamental rights and you know, not to take anything away from Black Lives Matter, but that is a narrower, uh, narrower focus um, than what the truckers are doing who are fighting for, you know, the essence of what a free society is. Um, and so, but but in a free society, I, I I agree with you that you know in a in a representative democracy like ours, we have uh, we sort of we decide on what we're going to do through elections, and you know you're supposed to. There's a procedure, and but ultimately, if we have we give like minorities various kinds of rights and protections and things like that. It, it, minorities of all different descriptions, including even the rich, right? I mean, like, you can't just sort of seize the assets of wealthy people and redistribute it. So we have all sorts of, you know, protections for minority groups of different kinds. But we also do say that numbers matter in a democracy, and they do matter. And there is this idea that, like, one person, one vote. And so I remember, like, you mentioned the Black Lives Matter protests. Like, they had a, you know, a couple of big, Black Lives Matter protests here in Montreal. And I remember at one point there were some people in cars and vans who wanted to make like a convoy to go down, uh, to go up like Saint-Laurent, to go along Sherbrooke in vehicles. And they were immediately like stopped by the police and said, no, no, no. If you want to participate in the protest, 
go park your car and you know walk like everybody else. Like there's thousands and thousands of people, but you can't be doing that with a vehicle in the same way that you can't go to a protest with a machine gun, you know, because that suddenly changes the dynamic completely, right? Or if when you make it into like a car, like it's you with a with a with a car or a machine gun or you know, God forbid, an eighteen wheeler like massive truck, like it, four people, as this you know, retired cop said to be like four people by themselves cannot shut down an intersection; they just can't. Four thousand people protesting can shut down an internet and he goes these truckers are just cheating like they're basically because four people with four big trucks can shut down an intersection like four thousand people yeah but that's that's just like you know that that's a completely different dynamic i mean you if you show up to protest with a machine gun you're going to be treated very differently by the authorities than if you show up you know just with a sign well let me give you that let, let me give you that intersection um, if, if this has happened on St. Catherine, the corner of St. Catherine and St. Laurent, I'm 100% in agreement. But we're, I, I, I'm not talking about St. Catherine. I'm talking about Parliament. And that's a different scenario that you have to expect a greater level of political uh, friction and intercourse and disagreement and dissent in that area around Parliament. If, if, if that's why people drove but why? all the way but from why? That was the other thing. That, yeah, but that was the other thing that was like so confusing to me. Like the COVID policy is completely controlled by the provinces here in Canada. So it is, it seems so weird. Like it, it makes sense to me that this you know, is the, the first... truckers, but to go and to go and protest federal, you know, in Ottawa when in fact it's a conservative elected premier Doug Ford who is actually the one who's like responsible for the the policy in in Ontario like why not go and like protest against Doug Ford like why are you protesting against parliament it it just seems like a category error i mean this is the first argument you've made that i think is a bit disingenuous um okay because yes on a very technical level it's a category error but a lot of this stuff is negotiated in between governments. A lot of it comes from, from a federal level down. Um, the initial complaint of the truckers was crossing the border, which is a federal jurisdiction. You know, um, it's not like, like, oh, if they're crossing from Alberta into Montana, then they don't need a vaccine passport. But if they're crossing from BC, they do. It was, it was a federal... It, jurisdiction over the border and that's where originally that initially came from the feds but it, more than that um it really is a top-down you know these pro uh, policies even if they're not completely synchronized and now they're kind of falling apart the the tone comes from the federal government down and it, it again like the, the trucker protest is bigger than than the mandates and you know you you mentioned peace order and good government um Without the good government part, you know, peace and order, you know, added in harmony, and you have China. Um, and so you, we, we basically have had a huge failure of good government um, that you know, was why Canadians are, are protesting. And that the natural target of that is going to be Ottawa because it's been the, the, there's a there's a tone issue that, you know, the, the yes, the the. the surface reason for these protests is 
the, the mandate. But there's a larger category at play here in terms of the entire set of policies and governmental reactions has been driven by the, the Zoom class, the people who spend you know 13 hours a day staring at screens. Um, and the, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm referring too much again to stolen focus, but the the, the people who who live via the screen are are very different in terms of the impacts of these policies from the people who still have to live in the real world, um, and they're very different in terms of their their risk preferences. They're, they're almost becoming a separate class of society. And I think that these structures are reflecting more than just the, the specific provincial you know, COVID rules. They're reflecting a, huge, a whole realignment quickly um, between, you know, one way to look at would be the, the people who live on screens and the people who still live in the real world. And the truckers are as poorly educated as they might be, they're forced to live in the real world. and yeah, I, I, it's funny, you know, the, strangely enough, uh, I, this is not what I would have expected, but I, I, I messaged you the other day about this, but like, strangely enough, one of the most sympathetic portrayals of the trucker protests in Ottawa that I've encountered was not from Fox News or from Tucker Carlson or anybody like that. It was actually, uh, or even Barry Weiss, uh, her thing, What the Truckers Want, uh, it was actually on the New York Times the the daily podcast had a whole edition kind of devoted to the protests and they had uh, one of their new york times reporters went there and actually talked to people and she made a very similar point to you she said you know i'm actually i'm i'm finding a lot of pain here and it's people who have not can't easily do their job through zoom like online and they have to actually. And so she interviewed one guy who had started like a, a yoga studio. He'd like put all of his savings into it. He'd gone he bought a half a million dollar building. He was doing really well. And then COVID hit and it's just completely destroyed his whole business. And so it was a lot of people who, you know, their, their livelihood is dependent on actually being out in the world and seeing people and, and being on the road and, you know, whatever, doing things. And they can't just like switch. And they're yeah. very, very upset about all of this. And so she said, uh, she said, you know, I, I did find some people who seem like sort of right wing crazies, but she said, I found a lot of people who were, uh, you know, kind of moderate centrist people who were actually kind of like pretty left wing progressive types. Cause I didn't see, any like necessary necessarily obvious political valence to the protests at all and she said i th i think we're actually maybe seeing she said they're very similar to you she said i think we're actually seeing the birth of maybe a new uh political consciousness among people who are have been really adversely affected by these lockdowns and these policies and they, this may be kind of a new political alignment like this could give rise maybe to new political parties new political movements new political leaders you know who knows yeah to me uh, that that's that's very interesting because and, and it's not just in terms of of impact in the sense of you know i work online so i'm impacted the least by by you know lockdown policies versus somebody who you know the, the, the person that orders on Amazon versus the person who actually delivers the goods that Amazon, you know, the truck driver that delivers the Amazon box. Um, I, I think this is part of the, you, you, 
you're seeing this across politics where there's a weird scrambling. It's it's not didn't start with COVID. You know, it started probably started with Bill Clinton deciding to sell out the working class and go for uh, corporate money. So the Democrats, you know, became just a second party of of corporate power and wealth. Um, a little bit more disguised, but with with nobody now in a sense defending the the what traditionally was the working classes um but you know even within working class you have, you have people who can work online people work with their hands there is no real representation for the people who work with their hands and you're seeing this weird shifting back and forth between you know, their traditional democratic voters and they voted for trump because the democrats had alienated them to such an extent now they're kind of flailing around trying to find somebody who will who will support them and I think there's a huge scramble going on right now in terms of the politics. And I think what's coming out of it really is this uh, either the, the, the Zoom class versus the, the, the real world class or they call it the bureaucratic class because there's that the Zoom class is also enmeshed really deeply with, with bureaucracy and you know HR departments and, and the administrators, you know, you the nurses are much more likely to be anti-vax than the hospital administrators, for example, because the nurses are actually dealing with people. I, you know, I have nurse friends who BC fired 6,000 nurses because they wouldn't get a vaccine. And then I had a nurse friends who actually had COVID were told to come in because they were short-staffed. So completely irrational policies, complete absence of good government. Um, but that bureaucratic, highly fearful, highly susceptible to government and media, or highly susceptible to, to being afraid of wrong thing. I, I think that the, the, the people that you and I went to school with are the most vulnerable to groupthink. And I think they are, I'm not suggesting it only on the, on the I don't even want to call it left anymore because I think of myself as a liberal, but the, the bureaucratic class has created one hive mind. In the context of COVID, I, I, I'm, you, I'm going to use Peter Atiyah's uh, term of the branch COVIDians versus the COVIDians. The branch COVIDians <laughs> are, are the, the, COVID has become a religion to them. Fear has become a virtue. Um, and they can't adjust to the fact that, that the facts on the grounds have changed. And then their team is saying, if you're a team player, you're going to get a vaccine. You're not going to, you know, you're going to shut up and do what you're told. You're going to wear your mask even in front of your two-year-old who's still, still trying to learn, you know, learn how, how to enunciate words. Um, you know, the, absolute, the, the COVID maximalists on the one side, and then you have the COVIDians, you know, who've, who've gone this other group mind where, where the vaccines have, you know, chips installed in them and, and, and they're, they're going to kill you and, and all this. And there's so little nuanced discourse left. Um, but the branch Covidians are the ones who control all the levers of power. And I think that there is, there's the reason I'm cheering the, the truckers is because the, you know, I, I, I like to cheer for the underdog. I mean, you call it the low numbers. Maybe it's a, it's, it's a feature for me as well as a bug because there's the, the branch Covidians, the, the, it, it's, it's ironic because the liberals still think that they're fighting against the power. But they are the power. They control Hollywood. They control Silicon Valley. They control Wall Street. They control now. I mean, Canada. They control the government uh, in the U.S. as well now. Um, 
every branch of cultural power is controlled by these bureaucrat elites from from schools like mine and yours um and they they've they're also the kids who who were brought up you know complete with helicopter parents who never had a chance to you know only about 10 percent of american kids get to get to be free range these days um and i suspect those 10 percent are among the truckers because there were single moms who, who couldn't control their kids every second of the day and so so we've created a generation that is just terrified of everything we've put them in power and their policies are are, are irrational and so like yeah the truckers are a minority but but <laughs> even though a lot of the extremes of the truckers and i know there are people in the trucker protests who are vaccinated they're just against the idea of mandates and principle and against the lockdowns again i think most of them i think most of them are i don't quote me on that yeah. but i know when i was looking into it it's like i think it's like over 90 percent of canadian truckers are vaccinated fully vaccinated i'm not talking about um, the truckers I, protesting i know some of the ones that are actually protesting are also vaccinated yes and they're doing yeah. it and they're they're against they're again they're yeah. it's on principle it's not necessarily because they're uh, anti-vax or anything they're just they're anti kind of mandates you know but i, I want to ask you also another question i i stephen marsh made this point uh the other day in an article that you know he just had this book on the the next civil war and how the united states is is breaking down into civil war now and he says so in the same way that during the cold war the United States and the Soviet Union fought these proxy wars, like you know Vietnam, Afghanistan, all these different places where it was. A, and so he says that the trucker convoy is the first of of many sort of proxy wars. So it's basically the culture war in the states is going global and it's spilling over. And so if you look at, uh, he says, you know, if you look at like the money, seventy percent of the money to, to support the truckers came from the United States. So this is, you could say this is like foreign tampering in our politics, right? They're like 70% of the money is coming from American sources. But more importantly, if you look at the internet traffic and how many people, uh, how many like coverage of it on uh, in social media sites, on radio news, it's been like covered in the United States way, way more than it's been covered in Canada. And even if you like it, it's kind of striking that it's people in the States are way more uh, fired up about it um, on, you know, the left and the right uh, than people in Canada are. So I just, what do you think about that argument that this is basically like, like a sort of a, a almost like a Vietnam, like a, like a proxy war, of the the American culture war sort of sp spilling over its borders and infecting other places with its bullshit. I agree about the spillover. I wouldn't call it the first. Um, I I think that the Gilets Jaunes protests in France. I even think Occupy Wall Street, for example, was very similar to this. Like if you look at Occupy Wall Street, they were objecting to the massive bailouts in two thousand eight. Uh, to all the big banks that had caused the collapse. And, and the people who were protesting were, uh, okay, well, in terms of the left-right spectrum, they were more left, but they were against the, the, this massive uh, mismanagement of public funds in order to bail out the, the elites, the administrators. 
Um, I see the truckers as very similar to to Occupy Wall Street. Um, and, you know, only about 25% of them, at least in the States, I, I know American stats more unfortunately than Canadian, but only 25% of the COVID money went to actual individuals. 75% went to these giant corporations. The um, And, you know, there were trillions, you know, way more money was spent on COVID. And 19 trillion globally as of about six months ago was spent on COVID. Um, very little on actual science, most of it on, on keeping shut down businesses afloat. And most of that money went to giant corporations. So the same, there's a complete parallel between 2008 when the giant banks were bailed out to 2020 when, when again, giant corporations um, are getting bailed out. And the it's this this weird, rotten administrative state corruption that, that is on, on one side and the, the little guy on, on the other. And it's weird that that um, the the left right has flipped, but the economic class hasn't. You know, you're still dealing with the 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 rich versus the the poor, and all that goes with wealth, which is you know caution, um, uh, administrative power. Not the ultra wealthy now, but but you know the the, the administrative class, the, the bureaucrats. Um, I do think it's spreading through the world, but that's because the, the, the administrative class is transnational now. Um, and when the media have kind of created a global sense of, of the underclass as well, having a commonality. So the, you know, the Harvard graduate uh, in the U S and the Harvard graduate in, in Canada will have a lot more in common than, you know, a plumber will have to, uh, you know, an HR consultant in their own country. So, so the plumbers across, you know, England, Canada, France, Germany, US are far more similar despite their linguistic barrier culturally now than you have across the, the blue collar, white collar division. And I mean, I, I do think that the US is a massive, it's like a senescent cell that, that's shooting out SAS proteins to, to poison all the other cells around it. Um, it is a source of, of these toxic, you know, ideas for the world, which is, you know, it spent 200 years shooting out really good ideas about, about democracy and, and liberty and everything else. But over the last 20 years, it's been sending out some bad ideas. Um, and I do think the U.S. tends to be, you know, gen the decade or two ahead of, of the rest of the world. So in one sense, I agree with, with Marsh. Um, but I don't agree that it's the first. I think this is part of a of a pattern that that is playing out, and it's not purely in terms of the U.S. poisoning all its neighbors. It's also about uh, a sh shifting. You know, the border border lines of categories are shifting, and and the. I mean, the communist thought of the transnational, you know, the, the internationalist was the the song of the of the of the communists because they thought the workers of the world would unite. Um, and what what ended up happening is that the the bureaucrats of the world united, and I think the, the workers all around the world are responding. <laughs> yeah, there it's I've I've actually I'm just finishing up this book uh, by Vivek uh, Ramaswamy. It's called Woke Inc. Yeah. Um, Inside um, 
corporate America's social justice scam. I saw him on Bill Maher. Very, yeah, very, very fascinating. I actually, I, I got it after I saw him on Bill Maher because oh. I thought he was saying some really interesting things. And the book is just absolutely fascinating. But he... He has like he goes into this a great deal. He goes into the history of the modern corporation, uh, why shareholder capitalism, you know, is a thing, and why it's actually, despite its many problems, is way way better than this new thing called stakeholder capitalism. And he explains why that is the case. But one of the things he says that I think is really fascinating, and he, he, he sure he shows the receipts. He really kind of backs it up. He says that the Occupy Wall Street movement scared the shit out of, like, the elites in the States. I get really freaked them out. And he said that uh, what he calls, like, woke capitalism is a just an ingenious sort of response to any kind of actual challenge to the structural power of that managerial elite that is kind of crept and taken over all over the place, right? Like whether it's in banks or government or, you know, large institutions that, that woke capitalism provides like this uh, cloak of virtue for institutions, which allows them to get away with actually screwing over workers and screwing over, you know, citizens and democracy and stuff like that. But because they, and so one of the things that uh, he, he said in this, this interview, I heard, of him yesterday he said uh yeah you know it's no accident whatsoever that the f- the first thing that the quebec that the canadian government did to trash the truckers was to say these are a bunch of misogynist white supremacist like you know nazis like that that is like the the sort of the all-purpose way to get rid of speech or protest that you don't like is to uh tart with that brush rather than actually going and talking to the people and seeing, you know, well, you know, is that, is that what most of them think? Is that what like one or two of them think? Is that what they're actually standing for? Like it's, it's the all purpose justification for uh, taking speech down off of social media, you know, blocking things, right? You, you go after them. It's, uh, it's, it's 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 lazy. It's lazy, but it's been working. Like when, when you know, it, it, it's almost it's almost like an onion article that the minute somebody disagrees with you, oh, racist, sexist, like Justin Trudeau's quote, they don't believe in science. They're often misogynistic, often racist. They take up space. Do we tolerate these people? That I, I had to look it up. I had to <laughs> check twice because I thought I'm sh- surely that's satire. And you know, that was talking about anti anti vaxxers um, or not anti vaxxers, people who oppose the mandate. Um, and the, the, the fact that, like, this is why at the very beginning I was talking about these two hive minds, like, it, it, it's a really terrible, terrible idea that I can predict your, uh, not yours, but the, an average person, I can predict their view on abortion by their view on, on COVID, and it's not going to be the, uh, the one I would assume, which is like, oh, pro bodily integrity, pro, you know, you control your own body. It's the exact opposite. You know, I can predict your opinion on gun rights based on your opinion on COVID. And that's terrible. That's a scary thing. And a lot of that has happened because of these, you know, our, our thoughts and our communication is being controlled by corporations. And the people who were critical of corporations for most modern history um, have suddenly completely switched sides and just fully 
you know, the, the liberals have now embraced, not just embraced corporations, but embraced the, the fusion of corporate power and governmental power. Um, I, I said I'm not a libertarian, and the, the primary reason that, the primary argument I've always had with libertarians is that they are very pro-corporate. And to me, a corporation should not be treated as a, as a collection of individuals because it, it, that, that's a joint partnership. Uh, you know, a mom and pop shop, a, a, a partnership is a collection of individuals. A corporation is a government-created fiction that gets disproportionate power through government fiat. I mean, if you study corporate law, you see that they have the legal personhood, the limitation of liability, all of you know, corporate law tech, uh, codes are, are, are thick, thick codes that are all government-created, power, super powerful entities, starting with the Hudson Bay Company. I mean, these are have massive power as collectives, and you know, I, I'm 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 yeah. very pro individual. Well, that, that book, yeah, and, that that book that I was telling you about, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy's book, he goes into this in detail, and he says that the reason why there was such a heavy focus on, on shareholder capitalism, on just focusing specifically on profits and on like you know enhancing shareholder value and it was not because they were trying to sort of like i don't know reify greed or something like that okay. it was actually because the dutch east india company the hudson's bay company these these big monster corporations they got like private police forces yeah. and started like actually trying to manipulate society and started like actually you know like like you know, whacking people and like, you know, like they, they were acting like a state. Right. And so they cracked down on this like crazy. And they said, no, from now on, you keep your nose out of politics. You keep your nose out of like society and, and just focus on like you have limited liability, which is a wonderful, you know, big advantage that we give you in return. You just stay in your lane, focus on profit and you stay, but now, uh, you know, he said that is completely flipped since Occupy Wall Street. And now, like, they're actively encouraged to, you know, support Black Lives Matter and trans rights and various, like, organizations, you know, various causes. Um, and he said this is actually going to have a massively corrupting influence on, like he said, the, how does he put it? He goes, stakeholder capitalism is basically citizens united on steroids like it just it means that you're giving big corporations like facebook uh you know google apple you're giving them uh basically state-like power you know but they don't have but they don't have the same kind of like if you are as an individual citizen if you're going to a protest and you are and you actually like you are caught on tape like destroying a car or destroying property right you can be personally sued for that yeah. right you're personally liable for it but what if google like has uh, encourages their employees to go to uh, i don't know to a gay rights like protest or to a blm protest or something like they encourage them they give them the day off and then some of those employees like are caught on tape like setting a car on fire well how are they i you know technically that becomes really weird legally because they're shielded by google's corporate 
liability, like limited liability as a corporation. Like, so you would have to sue Google maybe or sue, or maybe you couldn't, right? Yeah. You couldn't get them as individuals, which, uh, which is why like Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, he says that the answer is that every time corporations step outside of their lane and start interfering in politics and society, they should have their limited liability uh, removed. Yeah, I mean, that's and you should be able you should be able to go after them as individuals uh, and and just sue them you know like massively as individuals as soon as they get outside their lane and start trying to interfere in politics and society like go after them but this this isn't new I mean it, this went to the Supreme Court in Dodge versus Ford Motor Company uh, Ford Motor Company Henry Ford did not want he did not create Ford Company in order to make money. Um, Ford wanted to control every aspect of people's lives. As you know, he was a huge anti-Semite. He wanted to um, control everything to do with workers. Um, he also had a dream. You know, it was, it was positive and negative. Um, those were his negatives. He, he wanted every every house in America to have a, have a Ford car. He wanted complete control over the market, and he was basically selling the, the cars below cost. Dodge, the, the, the guy, um, was a minority shareholder, um, and he, Dodge sued saying that that uh, uh, that Ford, Ford controlled, he was a majority, Dodge was a minority, Ford didn't care about profits, he wanted to use the company as, as a tool for, for social control, um, and Dodge said, no, like I'm a minority, I'm being totally screwed, I own 40%, and you're using my money against my will to follow political agendas um, that I don't agree with. Uh, the Supreme Court held with, with uh, Dodge that, that basically the only valid uh, action for a company was to pursue profits. And that's been completely warped in the media in terms of like, you know, all corporations or Hollywood movies, the corporations are evil because they follow, pursue profits. But if you think it through, it's exactly what you're talking about, you know, if you have a 60-40 split on in, in shares, that 40% minority shareholder is having his money used against his will for political agendas that he may or may not agree with. Um, that was the holding of the court. And then, you know, in the 60s and 70s, courts have started re rejecting this idea and they started expanding uh, corporate power. Um, and now it's gotten to a point where, yeah, like you say, it's, it's you know, they have enormous power. And now, you know, with these these giant uh, media companies like Facebook, Google, uh, you know, they control our, our public square as well. So we're at the same yeah, time, yeah. we're giving, we're giving them um, the ability to, to blow past all their, their constraints. We're giving them control over the public square and our, 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 our thought process and, and what's true or not. I mean, we've, tur we've turned them into truth stars. <clears throat> at the same time, we have uh, governments increasingly intertwined with with uh telling facebook what you know what is appropriate and what's not who, what type of speech they should go after now with the truckers you know they've shut down with the they've started coordinating with the banks to shut down their their bank accounts uh, what what freedoms you know if you want to print a pamphlet for you know your, your speech free speech rights if you don't you can't afford a, a megaphone if you can't afford to print a pamphlet uh, how how much free speech right do you have? If you have, if you don't have the right to transact, how do you get to a protest? If if you have no money, you know, how, forget the truck. Say you want to take, you know, 
drive yourself to the protest or take a bus to the protest if you don't have that, you know, three bucks to get on the bus because your bank has shut down um, your bank account with no no warrant or no probable cause or no court system inter intervening because you've been deemed a terrorist just because you disagree with with the government view, which also happens to be the corporate view. Um, it, it's insane. Like the the, 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 the truckers are, are this tiny little tip of the iceberg of what is a, a terrifying trend where these corporations and governments have, have fused. And, and, you know, the famous, it's not Mussolini, it's the other Italian fascist uh, thinker that basically the fusion of, of state and corporate power is corporatism is better, better known as fascism. Like the definition of fascism is this kind of fusion. And only because we agree with the, I mean, with the end results, are we accepting it? And then, you know, if you feel questioning a process, you need to ask yourself, how would I feel if this were applied not against somebody that I, I disagree with, but against somebody that I, I, I like? Like, you know, look at look at AIDS. AIDS is a really good parallel for, for COVID uh, mandate issues in some ways. 81% of, of AIDS is transmitted through male-on-male -male sex. Now, imagine mm -hmm. if instead of, like, and we learned through the AIDS epidemic that the way we do this is education. We, 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 you know, educate people to use condoms. We educate them to be aware of, of, of AIDS. But we don't sit there and say, you, you must use a condom. Every instance of gay, gay sex must use a condom. And if you fail to use a condom, you will lose your job. You will become a second-class citizen. Imagine if, if we treated, you know, because, uh, you know, statistically, you have a demographic that is a higher risk. So, you know, gays on one hand, say unvaccinated on the other. It's not a perfect parallel, but it's, it gives you a conceptual idea of, of how we don't mandate medical wisdom. Yes, it's wise to use a condom. Yes, it's wise to get a vaccine. But the minute you start imposing state power and, and calling, you know, people who don't, uh, don't conform to, to the state decision as, as taking up space. Imagine if we had handled the AIDS epidemic that way and said, no, these gay people are taking up space. You know, there were people who did that. They were the right-wing religious nuts. And, mm -hmm. and now we have the branch Covidian, you know, it's, a, it's a becoming a secular religion that is, is freaking as Borg-like as, you know, the, the, the Baptist Christianity. And Well, I, I definitely think there is a weird sort of, like, religious thing going on for some people. I can't put my finger on it. I mean, it's at first I thought it was just sort of people that had, let's say, like sort of OCD tendencies or, or kind of germaphobe type people who this sort of just amplified those tendencies in the same way that like people who who really thrive on drama and, and like violence are are often very excited when like war breaks out because they can sort of mobilize tendencies that are always there, but in peacetime, they, they can't sort of, you know, do it. So I, I definitely, there's something weird going on there. I can't exactly, but I, I have seen it in some of my colleagues at work and some people that I know where they, like, I feel like they're, you know, when, when the COVID war is, is declared over, they're just going to keep fighting. You know, they're just, this is like the new normal for them. And yeah, it's called BC. I don't know what's you know. It's it's the new. They're going to be wearing masks like even after we're in the clear. You know. Well, we kind of are in the clear. 
and 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 here in yeah. BC, here in BC, uh, they're still not allowing, for example, schools to uh, to have overnight uh, activities or or uh, kids in school still have to have wear masks, even though the numbers are are extraordinarily clear. Kids are under in no risk. Um, you still have the mandates here in BC. Uh, you know, with with it, it, it's frustrating. Like my son has 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 lost the entire social side of his high school, um, even though he's extremely fit. Even though the you know recent study out of Germany, uh, following five million kids, showed not a single, not not one child died of COVID who didn't have significant comorbidities. Um, and that's even before the vaccines. And now, you know, my son's double vaccinated and he still can't have a normal uh, high school experience. You know, the, the the number of kids in high schools who are, who are talking about suicide is just through the roof. And you see, I'm seeing in BC all these, you know, teen mental health programs. And I'll get into arguments on Twitter. I said, well, you can't see these things in silos. Like, the, the reason teen mental health is being de demolished is because of, of we've cut off their social connections. We know social connections are important to kids. And and I get people angry at me saying that, why are you mixing the two issues? Like, we've completely... Violated. Well, they're obviously they're of a piece. Obviously. They obviously have to be talked about in the same... Yeah, that's If you do cost-benefit analysis, it's like, you know, if... It, I remember yeah. when when Annalisa was pregnant with our firstborn. They like in the states they said, "Oh, if you have any wine during pregnancy, your kid's going to have fetal alcohol syndrome." Well, actually, when they crunched the numbers, there was a wonderful Princeton uh, medical sociologist, Elizabeth Armstrong. She wrote this book called uh, "Conceiving Risk, Bearing Responsibility." It was all about like the fetal alcohol. And she just said, "This is just." Like very similar to your argument with the analogy to the HIV/AIDS crisis, that she said this is a lie, and they know it's a lie, and yeah. that's really annoying. Like they know that actually fetal, fetal alcohol syndrome is in the regular population incredibly rare, and that it's actually it usually happens within certain uh, limited communities, and it happens among women who are poor and who are drinking a massive amount of booze and and not only are drinking a lot of booze they're getting like a big percentage of their weekly calories from alcoholic beverages yeah. so if if you're a, like a, a wealthy you know upper middle class person who has like regular health care and is you know eating well uh, and you also maybe drink more than you should uh, your chances of getting fetal alcohol syndrome are very, very low, like incredibly low. Uh, and if you're having like, you know, one or two glasses of wine with dinner every night, it's practically impossible. But they didn't want to say that because they'd be accused of being like marginal, you know, picking on marginalized groups and picking on like, uh, you know, various things. So they said they applied it to everybody yeah. and said, you know, if any woman does this, you are a terrible person and your kid is going to be born like, you know, with five heads or whatever. And, and then we, you know, then we moved up here and in Quebec, you know, just like a year later, like it's not as if the science changed uh, a year later, the Quebec 
doctors here said, oh, yeah, it's totally fine to have a glass of wine or two with dinner. Yeah, no problem. It's totally safe. And we're like, okay, this is ridiculous. But, <laughs> like, but at least, you know, at least in the wine case, you know, cutting out wine for nine months is not, there's not much cost to it. But the the cost of these uh, speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but 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 we have massive costs of of these lockdown policies. Like if if if, if lockdowns were were a drug, the iatrogenic harms they, they would never like the side effects would have to be evaluated. Um, if this was just a pill instead of you know an action, those side effects would never pass uh, any kind of IRB test. Um, institutional review board, and we. I mean, one example, for example, is the American Pediatric Association had for for years. They had a big poster about the importance of of uh, a child that's learning how to talk. The importance of seeing the parent's face. That uh, how much of that of, of speech learning and social interaction at the very early ages is based on visual cues. Um, Good science behind it, American Pediatric Association behind it. COVID came, initially masks didn't work unless you had a PhD in mask wearing against, you know, an obvious white lie in order to save masks for the professionals, but blowing through public trust by lying to us. But once they accepted the masks work, the American Pediatric Association didn't say, hey, there's, you know, yes, for, for development, you need facial co visual contact. But there's another factor for COVID. So, you know, if you're with strangers, uh, you need to mask or whatever. They became activists. They stopped being scientists and became activists. And they took down the, uh, that page on the importance of, of visual cues for learning because they were afraid that it would, it would damage the, the pro-mask messaging. And the minute you have scientists become activists, it's not science anymore. And people, it, it, it's so weird to me about how it's decided that is oblivious to to the re, the science that is saying trust trust the science. We've basically you know in, in BC we have Bonnie Henry in charge. She's an epidemiologist um, that only focuses on COVID, and it's like putting you know the, the expert. She's an expert, but she's an expert on the on on, on brakes. And we have a freaking race car, and we've put the expert on brakes in charge of driving the race car, and then everybody's saying listen to the expert. Like, yes, you, you need to have good functioning brakes in a race car, but you cannot have the entire decision process of the driver be determined only by the by, by, by the brake expert. You also need the gas expert. You need the steering expert. You need a bunch of other expertise, and then you need some kind of political leader who's the driver to coordinate all these different sources of expertise. And we've yeah. completely abdicated. My grandfather, that. my grandfather used to always say, uh, "You know, never ask to never ask a shoe salesman if you need another pair of shoes." Yeah, yeah, because of course he's going to tell you, "Well, do you have brown ones? Do you have black ones? Do you have white ones? Do you have like?" Yeah. Of course he's going to like come up. You know, that's that's sort of his his job, right? Like, and these epidemiologists so, yeah, I mean, will never they will never feel any heat for uh, an increase in homicide rates. They won't feel the heat for even suicides. What they're going to feel the heat for is COVID numbers going up. And then we started focusing on cases, and, and you respond to what you measure. And if we're measuring cases, we're going to respond to cases, whether or not they kill anyone. And we're, we're going to completely ignore the, you know, whenever you minimize instead of optimize, you are creating a giant mess. 
and they've set out to minimize one source of risk, completely oblivious to, to other vectors of risk. Um, they say, believe the experts, but then, you know, even how many people know that the FDA's expert committee, the VERPAC expert committee, voted 16 to 2 against boosters uh, because there wasn't enough uh, research done in, in, in boosters to, to teenage, teenagers. Um, the, the expert committee, the FDA's own expert committee voted 16 to 2. The FDA political appointees uh, overruled it. And now everybody who believes in the science is saying, oh, you have to get a booster. Now, I, I got a booster because I'm 50. And, and for a 50-year-old, it definitely makes sense. For a 16-year-old boy, the, the, the curves actually cross to, to the point where his risk from COVID is so low that the very low risk from the booster is higher than his risk from COVID um, for a 16-year-old boy. And it's the, the freaking FDA expert committee that, that said this, but the FDA overruled it. And then you have the media simplifying the, the, the science. And then, and then you have the self-righteous uh, branch Covidians who are absolutists who are mocking anybody opposing any disagreement as being a Covidian. And again, I'm not saying that the, the there are people on the COVID side who are against all vaccines and they have, but in the end, you know what? The the, the science is not so cut and dry. It's not a hundred percent certain the way you know gravity is nine point eight meters per second squared. You know, it's not a law of physics. The the science is still changing, and in the end, you are we're forcing a medical treatment on somebody, and is their body and, and we're not 100% sure we're right we're not uh we don't have a true star that that it comes from god you know the the lab leak theory was was would have been banned from facebook a year ago because it was it was false news how, how much like i don't know i just find it so frustrating that, that we have the arrogance to to think we know capital t truth so well that we are going to impose it on people's own bodies and medical health against their will, which used to violate every medical ethics. Um, and I actually, I want to bring this back to one quote in terms of, again, why, why this is so scary. If you look at, I've heard a lot of people for a while were posting uh, uh, Jacobson versus Massachusetts, a Supreme Court holding saying that, um, that vaccines are, you know, for sake of societal health and for the sake of the, the, the communal responsibility, people need to get vaccinated. And it took, <clears throat> uh, took less than 10 years, I think, that for Jacobson v. Massachusetts to be cited in Buck v. Bell by Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes as uh, saying that the same principle that allows for, for vaccination allows for sterilizing the mentally retarded. Um, and again, same principle for the good of society. So, and that, that those 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 sterilization statutes stayed on the books till the 1970s, and they were they were 100 justified based on Jacobson v. Uh, Massachusetts uh, vaccination rules. It, it's the same kind of arrogance that we we are so certain we know better, um, and then imposing it on other people's bodies. And again, if it completely stopped the the virus. Yeah, maybe. If the virus were dangerous, maybe we, we'd turn into monsters in the short run in order to, for the greater good eventually. I, I hate that mindset, but there are scenarios where, you know, in war or whatever, 
where you need where, where it makes sense where it makes yeah. sense that where, where a benign dictator is more effective and sometimes that effectiveness is worth giving up some freedoms i'm not an absolutist but COVID is not that just like the truckers are not terrorists i mean we we, we don't freaking bring in the war emergencies act flq made some sense like yeah pierre trudeau you know it's, it's a trudeau family uh habit but <laughs> but at least the flq was a real terrorist group a bunch of fucking bouncy castles and and a little bit of honking <laughs> Like a goose honks, and so we take away all our liberties, and everybody says, "Oh yeah, thank goodness." Yeah, I, you know, I, I said, you know, to a couple of people, you know, I don't know, in the weeks up until they brought in the military, I, I said, you know, I think this is, I have a lot of problems with this protest, but I said, I think if they call in the military, that will be just such an overreach. I mean, that'll be like killing a cockroach with a sledgehammer it's just it it's not the right tool it's too much too much of a big deal and it's not a good precedent it's it doesn't it's a bad look and i said you know for pragmatic reasons if i was you know a liberal party strategist or in the trudeau cabinet i would not do it because it's just gonna be the absolute like that will turn a lot of people kind of against the government and for the the protesters because it'll seem like just a massive overreach um, but our information but environment that, is so that has not that has not happened and i'm so completely mystified i i thought doing this would just kill trudeau but you know they they say now that um if there was an election tomorrow he would win like in a landslide he would win like the biggest majority government that he's ever had right now he, his popularity is extremely high uh precisely because he you know called in the the military to remove the the truckers which like that just i i i don't know how to make sense of that that doesn't make sense to me at all like i i, I clearly need to rethink what i thought i knew about canadians it's it's not canadians it's the the media and the information environment Look, I'm a big believer in what defines you is not your substantive values, it's your procedural values. A real liberal worries about liberal process, not liberal endpoints. Um, and I think that, you know, as Jonathan Hyde talked about, uh, you know, that a lot of these, these progressives are actually psychologically very conservative. They're just conserving progressive values that they grew up with. Um, I think true liberalism comes from a liberal process of engagement, not whatever, whether you end up pro or anti-trans in the end or, or, or you know, individual substantive values. It's, it's, the, it's your methods that define you as a conservative or a liberal or a fascist or, or uh, somebody who cares about, you know, freedom. Um, and we've completely stopped caring about process. All we care about is that our side wins. And the reason is because our information is so curated and so managed um, I have so many friends who, who are convinced that the truckers are Nazis because of that Nazi flag that showed up uh, at the protest, which seems like it was, you know, not I'm a Nazi, but you're a Nazi. You know, it was, it was an accusation yeah. of, of, is this where you want to go? Is this the, the direction that you want to take the country? Um, yeah, I think I think this sign actually said, like, <laughs> Trudeau equals and like and a Nazi, yeah. like a swastika. And somebody took a picture of it, and but they focused just on the swastika and didn't 
have the full thing now okay that's a dumb sign that's a dumb sign but yeah but it's a it's a much more dumb photograph but it's not it's not it's malicious you know it's it's not dumb if if you don't care about truth or reality it's only dumb the photograph uh is only dumb if you're actually trying to figure out what's going on. If you're trying to uh, create a way to dismiss the protesters and marginalize them, and and there's no, nothing more effective. I still have. I, I will bet you fifty percent of my Facebook friends um, still believe that that sign reflects the values of the pro, of the truckers as opposed to an accusation. Um, wow! And you and, and the irony is like you, you. This has happened over and over. I, there's a photo of a of a native protest that had a Nazi flag equals Canada, basically labeling Canada as a Nazi country. Nobody would try try to, and there was Trudeau talking. Like Trudeau was in in the room facing that flag. Um, no, nobody tried to say that Trudeau was you know had Nazis in his audience because it was everybody knew that you know the intent was to call Canada a Nazi country. A, a fascist country because they were uh, not sufficiently pro-indigenous rights. Um, but we've allowed the discourse to be even more just no attempt at, at, at rigor, no attempt at at treating other values the way we would want our values treated. Like Communication is broken down. And I think it's broken down because of these giant corporations that have become you know the arbiters of, of what is allowed to be said and what's not and and I mean we freaking have thought police. It's 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 not in the Norwellian kind of Communist Party gray format. It's colorful, it's got rainbows, but it, it's a thought police. And we have two sets. I mean you, you again it's not purely on the, the the woke side. The right has its own thought police. But whichever information environment you follow, whichever hive mind you've you've um, embraced you are getting incredibly curated information there's a the term egregore uh, you study classics you know the, the egregore is is a yeah, i'm stealing this from peter Tia. um it, the egregore is, is a demon that comes out of collective thoughts and we have two egregores battling it out these two demons are battling it out and the humans within each hive mind we, we we've started acting like like neurons we're, we're not individuals anymore we're just all of us are individual neurons within one of two hive minds, and just information is flying back and forth between uh, these neurons via Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram and everything, um, and then the media, the, the regular, the legacy media, and we're losing our identity as individuals to actually think on our own, and that scares me more than anything. Like this, the, the loss of, of nuance and. Uh, Bayesian rationality and, and, and individual uh, ability to think like we're being subsumed here. And I, uh, yeah, I, I find it, I find that really terrifying as well. And in fact, I mean, we've talked about this before, but like one of the initial reasons why, uh, why we started the Likeville podcast, it, it was initially not my idea, actually, it was uh, Sebastian Furtado's idea. Mm-hmm. And it was and, and and a couple of other of his friends, and they're they're all like about you know twenty to twenty five years younger than us, and they wanted. He asked me to start it precisely because he said I feel like 
increasingly everybody's just like shouting at each other and everybody's like just playing this kind of team sports it's like almost like okay you're canadians fans we're leafs fans or something like it just feels really like and it probably it one of the antidotes to this not the only one of course but like one antidote to it is to let's just have like calm respectful open-ended unscripted conversations where you just and and it's amazing to me that very often if you just have like you know, a calm, intelligent, respectful conversation with somebody, you can, all these like issues that are supposedly like insurmountable are totally surmountable. <laughs> like you can actually like find all sorts of interesting common ground and you can, uh, you could like sort of tease, get some interesting nuance. And the two people involved don't even necessarily have to be like the smartest people in the world <laughs> or the most important. And that gives me hope that is, we can actually get back to that. You know, people are pretty smart. I mean, we got to the top of the food chain for a reason. But isn't that what Joe Rogan does? He finds, you yeah, know, he has, of course, he has of course. Long, long conversations, open-ended with people across the spectrum. And he finds common ground, even with people who, you know, he doesn't necessarily agree with. But then that common ground is, you know, you take a one-minute clip of, of, of that and tar him as, as you know, he's... No, I think, I think Joe Rogan is... is basically like a really good person uh, and a really like a decent person and i think what he's doing and what he has done has been mostly really good i'm just saying i'm just uh, saying think, that there's a yeah there's a price now to be paid even for allowing a diversity of opinions on your podcast and that is scary as fuck like <laughs> yeah it is Anyway, on that dark note, let's uh, let's finish on that like nice. It seems like for you know Eastern European, you gotta finish on some like everything is shit. Everything is going to you're going to die. The, the, everything the, is horrible. The Borg, the Borg is winning. <laughs> the Borg is winning. So this is like this episode will be like uh, kind of like the end of Empire Strikes Back, you know, <laughs> before the return of the Jedi. Like, oh, the, when everything the, uh, is the bad guys are winning. There, there are yeah. no Jedi left. It's the only Empire. It's only <laughs> all right. Well, have a, have a great day. I guess I'll I'll probably see you in about a half an yeah. hour for our book book club discussion of uh, Johan Hari. Excellent. All thank right. You. Well, I will see. Yeah, I'll see you soon. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. And please do uh, when your sci-fi novel is is out, you've got to come and uh, come on and talk about the novel and everything and please send it to me when you're done with it i can't wait to read it uh, if you're open i'll send it to you for a blur before then oh please do please do i i would i would love to I, I loved the ugly and i've been bugging you forever to write something else i'm glad you i'm glad you have so awesome. all right i will see you soon in our book club and thanks again Excellent. Take thanks. Care. Bye for now.